0: Welcome to From the Heart with Dawn Lister, she/her, and Daniel Groom from Anahata Yoga Studio, based on in Sea in Essex in the UK. We are thrilled and excited to welcome Jude Mills for um, our conversation today. Jude is a yoga teacher, a teacher trainer. She is an NHS healthcare chaplain really interested to find out what that means she uh, specializes in working uh, with people who are living with cancer um, from a yoga point of view and she's written a book adapting yoga for people living with cancer which I'm very excited to buy and read it's going to be super helpful for me in my own teaching practice so welcome Jude
1: hello thank you for inviting me to come and speak to you
0: so welcome. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Jude and I have kind of spoken in conversation groups online for a number of years, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of yoga, There's yoga platforms that yoga teachers can can go on and and I want to say debate, but it's not. I think it's maybe
1: nicer than debate. There's probably a better. Oh, I'm not sure if it's if I would call it nicer some of the time. <laughs> and <there is> some- <laughs> but Jude and I were saying just before the podcast
0: that. Actually, sometimes you just drop drop something and then just retreat because it can't. It's not always kind. Actually, you know, just because you're a yoga teacher doesn't mean you kind of got it all sorted out. You worked it out, and you're a particularly nice human being. There's all kinds of people, all kinds of people walking through their life, waking up, falling asleep, having their challenges.
1: Yeah, it
0: can be a bit of a scrap sometimes. Yeah, it really can. It really can. But I'm not going to get into that. No. Not today, but yeah, it's really nice to actually see your face and to have a conversation.
1: And you. Yeah, good. thank you.
0: So Daniel, how have you been? What's your week been like? What you've been doing?
2: Hi, Dor. Um, I'm well, thank you. Um, I go by the pronouns of he, him. Um, I know Jude actually through yoga campus, so we are both on the yoga therapy program um, in different roles. Jude offers um, her Yoga for People Affected by Cancer module um, and that's where we've connected on a few group group chats, haven't we? <laughs> Working out what we're doing for the next year um, and, and Jude also offers the course directly through Yoga Campus as well and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I am well, thank you, Dawn. This week's been a really good week actually. I've kind of I don't know, feel like my lockdown fog has lifted a little bit. Although when you're listening to this, lockdown's probably hopefully a bit of a distant memory. <laughs> 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 um I've I've been kind of doing a bit of self-study this week. Um not that I don't do self-study, but I've I've kind of found myself reading quite a lot. Um so I've, I've just had delivery of this really amazing book called Radiant Rest um, by a lady called Tracy Stanley. And um, as people that know me will probably know, I'm a huge fan of Yoga Nidra. And I saw Tracy um, on Uma's page actually, Uma Dinsmortuli's page and kind of started to do a bit of research and, and actually found a podcast that Tracy was speaking on. And it, the, the podcast was called Chit Heads, which is a great name for a podcast. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> All about yoga.
1: <laughs>
2: um, and I just really kind of felt very drawn to the way that Tracy was speaking about Yoga Nidra and this kind of real... Source of energy and and kind of awakening that yoga nidra um, provides for people that do practice it and Tracy's book arrived and I've just kind of devoured it really it's just kind of it really speaks to me in a way that it, it, it it's very heartfelt and. Tr- From listening to how Tracy wrote the book, she actually wrote it by using yoga nidra. So at every point that she needed inspiration or she felt stuck, she would lie down and do her yoga nidra practice and ask the questions within the practice about what she needed to then write about. And the book is actually written from a place of nidra, of being deeply rested but awakened at the same time. And yeah, I just, yeah, I, as I say, I've devoured the book and it's really, what I love about it is she's written it from a place of real kind of trauma awareness of being a black woman. And she, you know, she she really kind of has recognised the need for people that maybe are marginalised in different ways to have this practice, but how to adapt the practice in a kind of non-traditional way. A lot of people that are traumatized, lying down, shutting their eyes, that's a really difficult place for them to be. So she's really thought about ways that you can adapt the practice and create safe spaces within the dwelling that you're gonna practice in and with the teachers that you're gonna practice, which I just felt was such an amazing, amazing thing to be offering to the world um so i would highly recommend this book um radiant Rest it's called um, i'll be posting it on the on the podcast page after and i've asked tracy if she will come and actually talk to us as well And she's currently doing a big book tour for this book but she said she'll get back to us and i hope she'll be a guest at some point so that's what i've been doing mostly <laughs> how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to read the book, and it's got such a beautiful cover. It
2: has, doesn't it? It's like a, it's like a sort of midnight blue with like gold, gold writing on it. It just looks
0: I just lovely, very that.
2: inviting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I've had I've had a, a a good. I was I'm reading a lot of really heavy stuff at the minute, like work stuff. And I needed a r- break from it because I was like, my, I could feel my brain starting to shut down when I was picking things up. I wasn't taking anything in. Um, and also, I'm working on my book. I'm writing. I'm writing a book also about my upbringing, about my life as um, um, a Jehovah's Witness, and then how what it was like to leave the the cult and kind of forge a life without anybody to support me as a young person. And it's really thrown up a lot of stuff for me I kind of thought I'd worked through it all I really haven't and I sent a a draft off to a friend of mine who's a writer who's a published writer she's done a number of books and she came back with this huge list of suggestions which totally threw me into a tailspin not I mean it was incredible feedback it was lovely made me feel very um, I was really honored to get it um, but it was all about going much deeper and being more honest. And I literally sat in my little office weeping. <laughs> I'm laughing now, but I wasn't laughing. I was weeping not because I felt hurt, because I was so pleased for the feedback. And um, but I knew she was right. There was still the nine year old me where the book begins with not being honest, she was still trying to please mummy and daddy. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a couple of days off. So I picked up this old series of books I'm reading by Peter Bright. Now, if you like fantasy and you've never read it, Peter Brett's done a series, and I'm on the last one, um, and it's about humans and demons and uh, religion and faith and women and men. It, it's 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 really dark and. Exciting, and I get lost. I get lost in those worlds. I love it. So I've been, I've been literally reading that constantly. I'm even taking it into the bathroom with me. This my Kindles following me around the house. Every time I, I literally, if I'm sitting on something, I'm reading. It's and I'm re- reading something that I can get lost in, and and it doesn't. Although it's quite dark, it doesn't. It's not my dark. It's it's a fantasy dark. So yeah, it's been an interesting week. It's been a it's been a bit of an up and down week emotionally. And the Wi-Fi is playing up, Daniel, isn't it? At work, our Wi-Fi is playing up. At home, our Wi-Fi is playing up. I think it's
2: telling us to get offline for a little while. <laughs> that's my sense.
0: <laughs> to see people face to face. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Lot, lots of things. And, uh, yeah, it's been a good week on the whole, really. So how about you,
1: Jude? What have you been doing? Oh, I'll, I don't know about you. I always find that a really difficult question. I lived, I lived abroad for a couple of years, and I'm, I used to phone my mum, and she, the first question that she would ask me was, "So what have you been up to?" And I just couldn't, I couldn't, I literally couldn't think of anything that I'd been doing that was interesting enough to tell her. You know, lying in a hammock reading books doesn't really, you know, <laughs> doesn't really satisfy. But I'm, I'm good. The sun is shining and it's been shining for the past couple of days. And that that has made such a huge difference to my energy mm-hmm. and to my mood. Um, and um, this kind of time of year and you know, a sort of uh, spring equinox into Easter, I always find a bit energetically a bit tricky. You know, that transition, even though moving into spring and summer is actually is is a really positive I like that time of year I still find the transition a little bit uh, yeah sticky and I used to like every year at this time I would used to go and see a really dear friend of mine for five element acupuncture and she would kind of sort me out energetically and I I felt like I could move on but I haven't I haven't had that for a couple of years and uh, yeah I've definitely noticed the difference but feeling good today it's so nice when the sun shines. It's like everything
0: yes. feels different. I, I feel like oh. when the sun comes up and the little bulbs start p- pushing up through the ground, it's like, a li- it, 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 unconsciously, it's like a little promise of hope. Like we're coming out of the darkness. <laughs> we're coming into a, a place where things, anything's possible.
1: That's how it always feels for me in spring. Anything is possible. So. And it happens every year without fail, yeah. which is, which is wonderful. Yeah. Something to rely on, rely on
0: the, the, um, the, the fact that everything's always changing. We know that. That's what we can definitely rely on. Seasons change, life change, everything's constantly in a state of change. So let's hear about you. Tell, us, tell us about you and what made you start yoga and how you came to be a practicing yoga therapist.
1: Ah, oof. I, well, where do I start? Okay, so I became a yoga teacher sort of by accident. Um, and actually, about, let, let me work it out, 2004, so that's uh, maths, when, uh, 17 years ago, almost to the day, um, I went to India. And um, I was kind of escaping at that point. Um, doing a bit of a run away from my life kind of routine, <laughs> and and then and kind of emotionally not in the greatest of places. And I, and I at that point I was a I was a massage therapist, and I thought I was going to go to India and study Ayurvedic massage. That was my intention. But at the last minute, for some reason, and I don't know what the impulse was, I thought I'm going to do the yoga training. I'm up did I did practice yoga. I should. Say it wasn't just kind of randomly out of the blue. I've been I've been practicing yoga on and off since I was about twenty one, and I'm fifty three now, so that's quite a long time. Um, and so I went off to India and I did this intensive yoga teacher training. Um, and I I always said, or certainly at the time, not so much now, but. Certainly at the time I, came, I became what I, I now describe as a yoga evangelist. I thought yoga was literally the answer to everything because I still maintain that it saved my life. So everything that I learned in that time about how to, how the practice of yoga and meditation could influence my mood, changed everything about how I how I approach my life um, and so it did save my life in many many ways and came home not not really intending to teach us still at that point so as a kind of life thing you know this is transformative I really want to continue to live my life in this way um, and then kind of got offered a teaching gig in a local gym um, and And the rest is history at that point. So this is 2004. The sort of popularity of yoga was just beginning to stir. And certainly in Glasgow, I knew every single yoga teacher in Glasgow by name. (laughs) You know, we all knew each other. There were so few of us. And then after a few years, well, you know what happened? It just kind of escalated to the point that almost everybody that you spoke to was a yoga teacher or training to be one. And so I continued to kind of do that part-time along with my um, proper job. So I worked for the NHS at that point and then I moved, that was sort of around 2006, I moved then to work for uh, a well-known cancer, breast cancer charity in Scotland, um, which kind of kicked off my journey with cancer. And I was doing lots of health promotion and educational work with women who were living with breast cancer. And so the kinds of things that we were introducing them to included complementary therapies and yoga, which I was which was my background. And um, and that's what really started my interest in offering yoga specifically for people who were living with cancer. From there, I moved to the Beatson. So the Beatson is the big oncology center in Glasgow. It serves the whole of the west of Scotland and they have a charity associated with them that offer uh, complementary therapies um and you know other services to patients and so i was invited to come along and be their yoga therapist um and i was there for four years and i I learned probably everything that well not everything because i've continued to learn but that was my training ground for offering yoga for people living with cancer as a training course um this story is in the in my book but in about 2010 thereabouts uh, a student of mine who had had her own uh experience with breast cancer and who was also a yoga teacher came to me and said i want to do what you do how do i how do i do that how do i get to work you know offer yoga to people who have got cancer and she said will you teach me And, and so we had a bit of a think together about how that might what that might look like and that's when i developed my yoga for cancer training course it's called healing space and so this year is the 10th year of me offering that um it started off small uh, and it's continued to be small. I always have a very small group of students and it, I've deliberately kept it that way for all sorts of reasons that I can go into as we chat. Um, and then in the past couple of years, I've been offering that same course through Yoga Campus. Um, and I've been working as a as a tutor on the Yoga Campus team as well, offering the cancer part of their yoga therapy training. So that's a very kind of potted history of uh my yoga journey but yeah happy to uh expand on it
2: so uh, thank you jude for explaining that is you know you come with such a wealth of information around working within you know the the the, the support of people with cancer um, but then also your yogic background as well and you know the other modalities that you bring to that as well and i mean you know cancer is such a such a, a condition that touches so many people you know i'm not sure what the stats are but they're pretty high aren't they in terms of you know people that will be affected in some way by cancer, whether it's directly or indirectly by a family member. And as you said, the tools of yoga can be such an amazingly supportive thing to help people through the process. And I suppose it would be really interesting to hear some ideas of ways that yoga can support people um through through the various sort of um ways that cancer can affect them
1: yeah well you i mean you rightly mentioned daniel that it's it's it touches everybody we're thinking about maybe one in three people will have their own experience of cancer and in, in their lifetime given that we all live to be a lot older um nowadays mm-hmm. um and it's important to say right at the off that yoga is not a treatment for cancer and it's not a cure for cancer, and um, but it can assist and support people through their diagnosis and their treatment and specifically with some of the side effects that they experience and particularly with the stress and trauma that a cancer diagnosis brings. So those are the things that that we promote um uh, when we specialize in yoga for cancer um, you mentioned yoga nidra and i'm a huge fan as well and i've worked a lot with umma uh, and elipta the um they get a huge plug in my book because i think they do some amazing work to really promote the the power of the practice in a way that is hugely accessible um and so yoga nidra is a is a is, a, is an a big underpinning of the work that I offer Um, and I think if you don't do anything else do that a lot of my experience comes as I said from working in an acute oncology setting so the people that I was working with um, and continue to work with as a hospital chaplain are very poorly Um, and so yoga as people might imagine it might not be what I do with people Mm -hmm. you know so we might not be doing a huge amount of postural work but what what everybody can do who is still breathing can breathe we can all breathe and we we can breathe together and we can do some gentle work around the breath in a way that helps to um, create a sense of calm to help to regulate a breath that's a bit ragged or a bit stuck or a bit a bit difficult and also can really profoundly affect breathlessness pain nausea and some of the the side effects of cancer treatment uh, I think I've got sidetracked I'm not quite <laughs> sure uh, where we started with this but um, s- specifically I think yoga's, ability to help people cope with the stress and trauma of everyday life. Um, As in addition to having uh, a life threatening illness, I think it's hugely powerful to be able to have a set of um, quite easily learnable techniques that can help people to cope. Um, Learning to breathe learning to um, be with what is present rather than fight against it learning to um, to learning techniques which help us to stay calm in the midst of a, a situation which is unpleasant for example having a chemotherapy treatment or having radiotherapy treatment to use breathing and mindfulness techniques and the techniques of yoga to really stay with one's own sense of calm um, can be really, really helpful. so
2: you're
0: on mute. Sorry, I put, I put myself on mute because the dog started whining. Oh. Whenever someone cuts their grass, the, the dog whines, doesn't like doesn't like it, not allowed to look after your garden. Um, I was just thinking as I was listening to that that when you have cancer I imagine mm. a sense of maybe feeling like you don't have much control that yeah. like a lot of things being done to you or a lot of maybe some choices taken away from you your life's suddenly got to change and I know from my practice that the practice is quite empowering it gives me a sense of what I can do for myself and how I can look after myself, even if everything around me is quite messy and um, out of my control. Would you say that's a part of what's happening? Giving people a little bit of a sense of, this is what I can still do to look after myself.
1: Definitely. Um, I think there's a a huge part of, of people coming to a yoga practice or making other lifestyle changes, like including changes to their diet, exercise, those kinds of things that are not only effective and all the evidence suggests that that's the case but also give people that sense of agency mm. so agency over what is happening to their body when as you said all of the other things that are happening are kind of outside of their control um, not just the treatments that are being done to them and a lot of the, treat- the treatments can be really quite invasive um, so they can be invasive they can be deeply unpleasant unpleasant they can affect the body in ways that um, that are unpleasant and so engaging with activities that, that bring us back into that sense of agency like yoga can be really really powerful and of course yoga has the additional benefit of or has a knock-on benefit of, of providing the practitioner with these techniques which additionally help with the the side effects and the symptoms and the stress um so it's 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 a kind of beautiful little packaged practice in that respect
2: i was just reflecting jude as well on you know we've spoken about the the person who has the cancer but actually the the effect that that has on family loved ones and the support network around that person is significant um Absolutely. and learning simple techniques of something that everybody could do together, i.e. breathing together, maybe someone, you know, holding space for somebody else because, you know, us professionals can't be there all the time. So actually being able to share those practices and experiences with those that are doing the caregiving or the primary caregivers for that, that person that has the cancer can be as powerful as actually teaching it to the person themselves, I would have thought.
0: When you said that, Daniel, I was just thinking. I bumped into some students um, a couple of months ago, whose one of their parents had had um, they had a stroke. It wasn't cancer, actually. And the, at the end of my class, we always say, "May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings experience freedom from suffering," and he said to me we say this together as a family every every time we see each other and it just hold. it does some it made everybody give them a sense of purpose because there was nothing there's nothing you can do really somebody's had a big illness maybe there's nothing you can do except be there and alongside them and support them but it felt like they were putting something positive in and it gave them some comfort it just made me think about you saying you know as a family hadn't even thought about that as a family coming together to do some breathing or some yoga nidra or some practice is that something you do
1: yeah yeah, um, yeah it's a really good point um, that often when someone has had a diagnosis of cancer they kind of get carried off into the into the experience of treatment, and, and they can be very well supported in that by oncology nurses, by their oncologists, by the healthcare team that's looking after them. The, the, often the difficulty occurs when they emerge out of the other side of treatment and that support stops and they don't know quite where to put themselves. But in that, often the family, are, or, the family or their loved ones or partners or children is being carried along on that journey without the same level of support and and often they've got the person who's going through the cancer experience is the is the member of the family that usually offers out that support so if i think about um you know someone who's a middle-aged woman for example she might be very used to having a lot of caregiving duties she might have teenage children she might have elderly parents there's a lot of giving out and then when she receives a cancer diagnosis and enters into that process that journey of receiving treatment all of that stops and but the worry and the concern doesn't stop um, and then the the family who are used to receiving that care don't feel that like they can ask appropriately don't feel like they can ask, and they might be feeling very adrift and so yes, I have often worked um, if, particularly in a sort of one to one situation if someone comes to me asking for yoga because they are going through a, an experience of cancer, I will often bring. A significant other in to to we do the work together so that they're learning together and that they can support one another and it so not only helps the person who's with the cancer it helps the caregiver and they can help each other and it can be really really powerful
2: i was just thinking back due to you know experiences that i've had and you know I've i've been blessed with clients who have allowed me to be part of their journey, you know, through through um, cancer, um, and actually, I've noticed, and something you just touched upon there is is those that survive. Actually, that that support seems to sort of disappear once they've once they've once they've kind of got over, or they've you know they've been signed off at a certain point. And I've worked a lot with people who have actually really needed that support then, because the cancer support has kind of been took away from them because they're well again or they're you know they're they're in they're in remission um but they don't really know where to go or what to do to support themselves so and I think maybe it would be really useful for us to to discuss you know. For people that are teaching a a regular yoga class and someone comes in and says, oh, you know, I'm six months in remission from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. What are the key touch points that you should be asking someone around, you know, how to support them in your class? Because as we know, yoga can be hugely beneficial, but also, you know, depending on surgery or ongoing treatments that that person still may be having. It may be actually not an appropriate thing for the style of yoga you might be teaching. And I think it's a really tricky place to be from a yoga professional's perspective about knowing where your boundaries are and where that where that sits. And I wonder if we should converse around that a little bit more. It'd be interesting to hear your view. Yeah.
1: That's a that's a huge question. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I know. <laughs> it's, it's also a wonderful question. It's a really um I was gonna say meaty, I'm a vegetarian, but know what I mean (laughs) it's a chunky question to to uh to get into um and so I'm going to rewind a little bit I think like and this is from my own experience as well and probably your experience that you probably went along to try yoga for the first time or experience yoga for the first time because you felt that you needed it Mm -hmm from a a physical or a mental or an emotional perspective there was something about the practice that so i think pretty much everybody who comes to a yoga class comes with that in mind unless they're approaching it purely from a fitness perspective but i think people who end up in the the kinds of classes that we run probably have an idea that's going to be good for them and so nobody turns up to a class completely void of any issues (laughs) whether they're physical or emotional or psychological and we can be quite thorough in terms of taking a you know the the usual sort of medical history and disclaimer and people will tell us as much as we ask and sometimes people choose to keep things to themselves including having had a cancer diagnosis and i think that's perfectly legitimate to be able to rock up to yoga class and be fairly anonymous if that's what the person feels safe to do and so that's why I think it's so important that all yoga teachers have enough of a grounding in certain skills to be able to adapt a class to the needs that present themselves in the class, whether the person has vocally communicated that to you or not. And I think that's actually quite a, a, a difficult and nuanced skill to develop Um, and it comes through good training it comes through sort of having that natural propensity in the first place you know the kind of person that that can happily and comfortably meet people where they are and then also being very aware of where the gaps in your skill set are and doing something about meeting them you know like actually a lot of people come to my training for example because they have noticed that more and more people are coming to their class with a diagnosis of cancer and they are concerned that they are doing the right thing. So it's about additional training, it's about reading and doing a lot of research, it's about making sure that you are communicating with your students, it's about making sure that your practice is accessible, and if it isn't, why not? I think that's a perfectly legitimate question to ask. As if you're if you're excluding people from your yoga class for any reason why and does that does that need to change Is that does that make sense
0: it really does and thank you for for saying that in such an eloquent way and it over the past few podcasts the the incredible people we've been fortunate enough to speak to they're really making me think about kind of classes we we all offer and specifically myself um, because that's not necessarily something I would have thought about 12 years ago or 15 years ago and I um I I kind of very much had a practice where you know well this is a very physical class so if you have cancer I don't think you should be in this class and I know that I wouldn't say that now um it's very much about you know the practice of yoga is about meeting people where they are and we we can't just see it. We have to do it. Yeah. Really easy to stand on the mat and say, only go as far as you're comfortable. If you're not showing them how to be comfortable in that space, whether that be mentally, emotionally, or physically, they you be feeling this. And I, I don't think it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Actually,
1: oh. for an accessible class, could you speak a little bit more about that? If you, I'll yes, I'll do my best and absolutely i think it's something that comes for a lot of yoga teachers with experience and maturity and and not necessarily immediately when you step out of your yoga teacher training i think a lot of trainings are now building in at least a question of accessibility and at least a question of uh, trauma awareness and you know that it becoming it's becoming more and more part of the language of the yoga teacher to at least be aware of these things, not necessarily in practice now, after I did my yoga teacher training in India, I came back and I did a, an additional training in the Shtanga yoga at, at Union yoga in Edinburgh and so I was used to having a very physical practice and it it that changed very rapidly and it changed for two reasons. One because I injured myself, snowboarding. Don't ask. <laughs> I broke my sacrum. I literally broke my spine. Right. So, and I had to. And I, had was. Con- I continued to teach, pretty much with a broken back, and learning to teach, in a way that I wasn't able to do any of the postures that I would used to used to be doing. And I have to say, that stopped my ashtanga pro, uh, practice in its tracks um, and it changed completely so that was one thing that happened and it made me more aware of how I might need to adapt for other people who with physical stuff going on and the second thing that happened was that uh, I ran a, a, a weekly yoga class morning yoga class at my yoga studio in Glasgow and a woman started coming to it with uh, who had Uh, quite a significant learning disability. She was a local woman and she came along with her um, supporter. And in order to make her fully included into the class, I had to change almost everything about the way I taught. And that taught me a huge amount about what it was to make a class accessible. Even though I had said the right words before and I'd thought about it and I'd thought about, you know, giving adaptations and offering props and making adjustments and all of the all of the things that we are encouraged to think about it it wasn't until somebody came into the class who approached the whole kind of social setup of the class in an entirely different way It it was it was very challenging to me and to the other participants but in a beautiful beautiful way so, for example, she would say, um, "We were if we were doing a posture, and I would go up and offer my hands for her to hold, you know." Um, and so it, uh, so there was that aspect of it. She would then kind of guide me rather than me guiding her about where she wanted to go, and to kind of allow that process of. Actually, yoga teaching isn't about. It's not Simon Says. Mm. It isn't about, here's a posture, you do this, copy me. Um, It's not about telling people what to do. It's not about doing yoga at people, which you see quite a lot as well. (laughs) Here's me doing my yoga and you can copy me. It's about being in relationship. It's about being in relationship with the people who are in the room and the people who are in the room are hugely diverse, hugely diverse in ways that we're not, often aware of so people will come with yes the sort of physical stuff sore knees or backs injuries illnesses also with uh, experience of mental ill health they'll come with their stuff their day-to-day experience of life though they'll, they'll with disabilities some of which we can't see including including people who are neurodivergent um and will and they'll come with different gender expressions again often that we can't necessarily assume from the outside so how do we make a, and create a diverse space when when a lot of about how we interact with people socially is entirely based on assumption
2: I was just going to share as well, Jude. That I think you know, the world that we live in now, and particularly you know the way that yoga is perceived, is there's this need for things to be right and fear of fear of people getting it wrong. And like any relationship, you need to get it wrong to be able to get it right in the long term. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and it's about open communication. I remember a similar experience that I had um, where I had a deaf person in my class and we had to work out a way for us to communicate between me and the deaf person and then between me and everybody else. Because actually, you know, we, we had very different ways of the class being run because the person that was deaf could lip read but then that meant I had to be facing that person directly so you couldn't be in a posture you had to be looking directly towards them (laughs) so it took the whole class quite some time to get used to this new way of teaching but actually so many people learned so much from that enriching experience you know it wasn't about the postures or the breathing or the relaxation at the end you know, it was about ways to communicate with each other. And actually, it was just a wonderfully enriching experience that was terrifying at the time, because I was like, I've got no idea how this is going to work, but let's give it a go. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: Brilliant. And, and yes, absolutely. You, the, the, the point that you made about you've got to get it wrong, you've got to try, be willing, but also be willing for what you do to completely and utterly change, which you did. Cool. Absolutely. So, and it's something that I say to my students quite a lot. Um, in fact, they they probably get really fed up of me saying it. But the the um the habit in yoga teaching in in our part of the world is to do the yoga along with students, right? So you do the, the yoga as they're doing the yoga, and they kind of follow and copy. Um, but particularly when you're working with a, a a vulnerable population, so if you're teaching a, a, a class for people living with cancer, um, and you, for example, ask people to come into a child's pose or invite them into a child's pose, if you end up in child's pose as well, how can you see what, how can, how do you see them if you're face down? <laughs> so, how do you invite people into a pose in a way that you can demonstrate it, if they've never seen it before? Uh, and to make sure that they're safe and comfortable and happy at the same time. Um, and it's, it invites a, an entirely different way of teaching, which isn't about doing it. Um, I often say it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. not about you. You're there to hold the space and to facilitate the space
2: over the last year as well we've had the added complexity of not being able to see half the students oh, <laughs> being online well,
1: that's, that's it it depends how big your classes are and my, mine are never yeah. that big that's but... been a whole
2: whole another world hasn't it <laughs> teaching through the lens of a camera but
1: really good point I wrote a blog um right back at the beginning of the first lockdown I wrote it for uh, yoga lines professionals about because I had a little bit of a Again, it was one of these online interactions, done <laughs> where I flounced off. Um, and I saw a comment from somebody who'd taught, taught their first online class. It wasn't a yoga teacher, by the way. It was another embodied practice. And they'd had 100 people on Zoom. Right. And somebody asked the question, well, how did... Do- how did you see what people were doing? And he said, oh, I didn't even know who, who half the people were. And I had this kind of sort of panicked feeling that people were out there teaching yoga when they couldn't see what people were doing. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I, like I'm still in kind of two minds about that. I think if you're working with a group of people that you're you know and you're comfortable with and you... Trusts that they are able to uh, that they know their bodies and the practice well enough that they can do their thing and just be in the same space as you. That's one thing. But if you're inviting people into space, half of whom you don't know. Um, that's an entirely different kettle of fish.
0: I think um, I've played I-, 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 I played around with the same feelings dude. Um, because we specifically kept our class cat quite low. Um, because we wanted to keep it safe, but I, I can't, I've, I can't see with, with a, a screen from a distance, and I can't teach with my glasses on because I've got funny eyesight. So, um, I, I, it's been challenging because I can't see the screen even with everybody on the screen. It, so I set it up. I had to kind of really think long and hard about how I was going to look after everybody. But my practice became slower, yeah, became deeper. It became much more yoga nidra. It, 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 the transitions were slower. Lots of time for setting up adaptions. Lots of, I'm going to show you how this could look, and it could look like this, and then we could, then you choose, and lots of, and if you need to jump in and say something, it's okay, so you can come off mute. So it was of less we were in yoga nidra, obviously. Um, so we, it felt, it feels still like a collaborative class. And then if there's somebody new that doesn't know studio or me, I have that conversation with them at the beginning. I like, this is what's gonna happen. If okay to jump in or we can talk after. I mean I spent half an hour on the phone with a student today, last week something similar, because they just needed to explore how they were feeling and stuff that had come up for them in a way we normally would do in the studio. So it's been we've all had to really adapt and I kind of feel like I don't know that I'll go back to how I used to teach. No. I don't think I will.
1: I don't know about you, but I feel that when I'm teaching on Zoom that I talk a lot more oh, God. than I would in the studio. Yeah, yeah. And it's because we're having to support the students while they are on all on mute. So it kind of creates this sort of dead zone of sound. Um, and, and so it's an attempt to kind of maintain that flow with the voice. Mm. But also I do a lot more check-in. How are you? Are you all right? How is everybody? Everybody does thumbs up? Everybody okay? You know, so there's a lot more. I mean, I do that. I guess I do that in a studio as well. But um, it is definitely different and I find it much more vocally intensive. Um, So I've definitely noticed that. Um, And also, much more aware of how I am setting up not just it's not just about safety well I I suppose safety would be one word but it's, it's a lot to do with ease and comfort of their space and environment and body and so I do that a lot more with my voice than I would normally because I can't necessarily go around and offer people pillows and bolsters and blankets and the stuff that I might ordinarily offer in this space. Um, so yes, it has definitely changed how we all teach, um, and, and and I think not necessarily in a bad way. I think my initial panic about it has subsided. I mean, I still worry about people that are teaching a hundred folk, but that's their that's their stick, isn't it? So <laughs> I uh, I get because my one of my uh real interests in yoga is ethics and this comes really out of my practice as a a, a chaplain and my interest in pastoral care i uh I, I sort of developed this idea that because people don't go to church anymore so much and some people do i do but that yoga has become one of the alternatives and that yoga teachers are often acting in the place Of a priest or a minister because people will come to them with the same kinds of concerns and that yoga teachers really do need to be equipped to manage the power of that in a very ethical way Mm. particularly if they're choosing to work with people who have health issues because that that makes someone additionally vulnerable and so yoga therapists talk about ethics and learn about ethics and learn about scope of practice and boundaries and but yoga teachers generally you know your average 200 hour training they don't unless it's a really good training um, and so yeah I I do have I, if I ever end find myself in a yoga forum where I see discussions around um, practices that i that i would find unethical as a practitioner i get a little bit hit up i admit <laughs> i i don't think
0: you get hit up i think you stand for truth i think it's important yeah. I, I really think it's important that people need to hear that stuff And we D- daniel and i have a little um sangha that we hold in the studio for the teachers and the student teachers um and it's kind of a space we come together where we talk about this stuff and support yeah. we support each other because great you know, we do hear as teachers people and this is the thing I think sometimes people students think because you're a yoga teacher you're kind of good at all sorted out and you've got some glimpses oh my world goodness yeah. where your life's as zen as it looks on the mat and that your lovely paced voice and your slow breath pattern and the way you can lead them into a beautiful space that's what your life looks like actually you know for us it might be that's the only peaceful flipping bit we get all day and the rest of the day just I mean, in my house, it's chaos. So like, oh yes. yes, all women, a husband, dog, like, all the stress, there's mental health issues in our families. It's chaos sometimes. Like, I've got to work for a rest. And so, you know, but, so then people come to us with these experiences that they're having and think we've got the answers. And we've said to the students, haven't we, Daniel, and the Senga and the teachers, you don't have to have the answer and you can say that to them. I don't know, I'm really sorry. All you need to say is have empathy you know I'm really sorry to hear that that must be really challenging for you I don't have an answer or can I refer you to this person or it's just it's about learning and I think we learn this as we go into our practice we aren't responsible for them we're responsible for making a safe space for them
1: that's it that's Absolutely. all well you've made some really really important points there Dawn, Um, about well there's two things there there's there's what motivate someone to become a yoga teacher or a or a therapist a complementary therapist in the first place and often that's the desire to help and, w- and with the desire to help comes uh, the, the shadow side of like as there is a shadow side to everything right so when that desire to help flips over into the shadow side it's a desire to help even when it's not our place to help mm-hmm. to try and help when we're not qualified to help to try and help even if the person hasn't asked for help so there's all sorts of a- areas around that where I think a lot of yoga teachers get stuck that they f- they feel that they should help and they-, they should be able to help even if someone is coming to them with an issue that is way out of their scope of practice um, just to explain that scope of practice it means those things that you're qualified and experienced and skilled in doing um and so i've got there's a big section actually in my book about it about this this aspect of what what do we do as yoga teachers and what do we not do remember when i was training as a, a massage therapist 20 years ago um the tutor said this almost every single day we are not doctors we do not diagnose because there's a tendency when we work with bodies to to think that we know what to do, what might be wrong with somebody, how we might treat it, and that we're getting into really dangerous territory there. Unless we're, we are qualified to do that, then the best thing to say is, I don't know it's the most powerful, and important sentence to learn. I don't know. Um, go and speak to your doctor, or physiotherapist or here's the number of a chiropractor or whatever it whatever it happens to be um we don't need to fix and we shouldn't it's not you know it's not anybody's job to fix anybody in your other than ourselves other than ourselves <laughs> and that's you know that's going to be a lifetime's journey that will always disappoint because we're not fi- you know it's not we're not broken
2: no absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah. We're not broken. Could you, could you
0: say I I I love I'd love I'd love an hour's conversation about we're not broken. We haven't got an hour. So well, you a few words about a bit more about we're not broken because actually yes. we on a podcast that's talking today specifically. Although we're diversion as we always do the interesting of stuff. Of course, yeah. Um, about cancer and yoga for working with people with cancer from a yoga point of view. I think a lot of people who get who who get a diagnosis of cancer feel broken, and some mm-hmm. like of them, and there's some guilt that comes up around that stuff. Can you can use, and I know it because I've seen it a lot. So yeah, speak a little bit about how, how you would bring that. You know, well, you're, we're not broken into that situation.
1: Um, I suppose I'm coming at it from a spiritual perspective because I'm also you know a minister, a healthcare chaplain, and and both of those things emerged out of my yoga practice which is is a spiritual practice for me so in all of the world's major spiritual traditions and let's let's talk about yoga and the spiritual tradition that that grows out of the ultimate truth is that we are not separate from the ultimate reality god brahman whatever you want to call it that there, that wholeness maintains itself because we are never we are not separate and we never were so when i'm talking about not not being broken i'm saying from the truth of the ultimate reality of what we are in relation to whatever you want to call it the universe we are always whole we are always perfect and that never changes um and i think in the In our Western practice of yoga because it has become synonymous with um, the wellness profession (laughs) about which I have a ton of issues but wellness has almost become also become synonymous with goodness and so not being well can often trigger people's idea ideas within themselves that there's that there's something wrong with them that they haven't done the right things that they haven't looked after themselves properly enough that they ate the wrong food that they didn't do enough exercise that they used the wrong deodorant whatever it happens to be um self-blame and that comes up a lot for some reason specifically with cancer now in this country heart disease kills more people than it does cancer but we don't have the same issues around heart disease that we do with cancer um, it doesn't have it continues cancer continues to carry this fear and taboo even though it has most cancers have become very treatable and um, and very survivable we've still got this uh, I hesitate to use the word irrational because it isn't irrational but it's 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 different to the way that people react to diagnoses of other life-threatening conditions some of which are more dangerous like heart disease um, and so that this idea of personal blame really comes to the fore in particularly when you hear within the wellness industry which includes yoga and a lot of yoga teachers repeat some of the misinformation about health and wellness and about what creates health and wellness then oh, i've lost track of what i'm saying but yes you see what i mean that yeah. it's this idea that you cause your own cancer i think is is i think deeply is deeply wrong it's not correct for, for one thing but it has become pervasive i think most people have a sense that 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 they've done something to cause it um, and that is a dish and an additional layer of of stress mm-hmm. into the whole experience shame and shame yeah absolutely um,
2: shame and I'm, I'm hearing you talking and i'm just to me it's just ringing out sh- shame and fear
1: yes absolutely and privilege Oh, blooming hell, don't even get me started on that. We should. We need an hour to talk about you are not broken, and we need an hour to talk about the social determinants of health. So I'm a huge... Uh, let's,
0: let's make a date,
1: Jude. I, I absolutely.
0: Think, I think it's a really important thing, and I think we've seen it in, in the COVID world as well.
1: Oh, yeah, hugely. I get, I get really upset
0: about all of that. I'm spitting nails about the way our industry have managed this whole situation and cancer and illness it, it makes me very despondent at times and and the privilege that i see around well you've not meditated enough you don't eat organ, organic food you know you do x y and z and you you've got you haven't got a positive mindset and it's it's apart from anything else it's creating greater separation just let's just start with that the separation and the hurt that it's creating just from that attitude and the arrogance I'm, I'm off i'm off
1: we have to change the subject i'm going to rant for it <laughs> well i'm going to go further and say it's actually a form of fascism it's yes. body fascism yes it's right. it's saying that you can entirely determine the the whole out uh, course and outcome of your life and health by doing all of these things which are often based on privilege and money mm. um when for a start none of it is true <laughs> but also it's a way of imposing guilt and shame on other people which is absolutely the opposite of yoga as far as i'm concerned and it's enormous um, and and i'm just i might be completely
0: wrong because i'm just formulating this thought as we're talking but it's almost like when you stand in that position you're placing yourself on a pedestal yes and when you're placing yourself on a pedestal, actually beneath that is deep insecurity. It's really yeah. dangerous. A horrible, you know, you you as a person on the pedestal are basic, that you're root fearful because you aren't able to be on a level playing field with the rest of the souls that are on the planet and creating further separation.
1: One of the, ang- the, so I've met a lot of people obviously when I was, when I during my career, but when I was working in the cancer hospital, I met a woman who, she was a yoga practitioner, not a teacher, but she she was a practitioner in, in some alternative health modality. I can't remember what she was. She practiced yoga. She had an organic diet. She did all the right things. I'm, for those listening, I'm using quote marks here. Um, and she uh, developed cancer and was livid about it. Absolutely beside herself with anger that she, of all people, had been diagnosed with cancer when she'd done, again, quotes, all the right things. And yes, there is evidence that the things we eat, the amount of physical activity that we do in our lives, the reducing stress, all of these things certainly have an effect on our overall health and our immune function. But it's not that simple, and we can't discount all of the the as as I mentioned before the social social determinants of health, which include significantly people who live in poverty, um, and in food deserts where they don't have access to fresh whole foods and certainly not organic foods and the and the kinds of uh, Health foods that are very expensive. Mm. Um, Not that they have a particular influence on health outcomes anyway. I think for a lot of people, it feels like an insurance policy that isn't that in reality doesn't really work that way. It's a whole, it's a holistic thing. It's a whole picture, and, and hugely complex. And it's and also
0: it's an industry we are being sold. And people are buying into
1: oh yes uh, but yeah, there's a huge amount of money in it of course um, a lot of money and
0: spending a lot more money on your deodorant and your organic food and your organic cotton bamboo <laughs> leggings That you know if you <laughs> them, you're, you're going to try and send everything you know i had a organic smoothie in my organic bamboo leggings
1: and then i went to my organic class that cost you 98 quid and- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nothing wrong with it where are them i've got posh leggings i like a pair of posh leggings i also got cheap leggings and i i like a bit of organic food when i can afford it but you know it doesn't make me better than anyone else and it doesn't bloody safeguard me from getting cancer ridiculous and that and that half a, a chunk of our industry is buying into it and selling it and propagating it, it makes me sick
1: because why you and i rant on these it's why we go in and rant, yes yeah we'll we, have, we have bonded over the <laughs> I think it might it might be a little bit of a scottish thing as well because yeah, I think... yeah maybe I've had that I've had that accusation thrown at me that we're just more likely to say what is Oh, well, it's obvious. We're likely to see that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, perhaps. Yeah, that's spot on. That is spot on. In this
2: seen... case, they're wearing some very expensive clothes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> expensive <laughs> leggings.
2: Leggings. <laughs> and a and a top made from bamboo.
1: Made from
0: bamboo. Bamboo is nice and soft. It does feel, I won't give it that. Oh, it's, it's
1: lovely, yes. But don't um, actually need these things to practice uh, yoga.
0: You can go to Aldi and they do bamboo talks. There you right go. Quickly. So you don't have to do it Lululemon. Although I've just found out some rather horrifying things about Lululemon. I'm going to call them out right now in our podcast. Uh, they, uh, the way that they um, source their materials and the kind of labor. That, yes. Um, to um, produce their goods definitely won't be buying any lululemon i'm going to add adds to that kind of behavior um yeah so getting back to where we worked we're coming up to the end of our podcast i know i can't believe it it's so fast, isn't it? We could definitely have to do another one The um you, you if you if you if you are a yoga teacher listening to the podcast um and you're thinking i want to make my class more accessible to mm. feel safe run a class that people who are living with cancer are involved in what's your first recommendation and obviously first is going to be buy my book and come and do a course 100 <laughs> apart from that what, what would your little pearl of wisdom
1: be uh okay so oh, can i just is it just one pearl of wisdom no do as many as you like Or right, so the first one is the thing that i said before It's not about you it's not your practice you don't go to teach your class to do your yoga practice right so if you need to do your yoga practice you do it some other time and space that isn't in the yoga studio and you so you don't demonstrate postures entirely within the the full range of your capacity and this is blanket. This is not just for people living with cancer, but specifically, so, uh, but specifically for people who are maybe do have limited mobility or, uh, or just need to kind of ease off a little bit on the full expression of poses. So the, I believe that the teacher should always be working well within their own capacity to do a certain pose, um, because what you demonstrate, people will want to. T- follow you they want to emulate you Um, and and so that might mean that they push themselves too hard and create injury or it might make them feel that they're not able to do yoga that's that usual adage I'm not flexible enough to do yoga Um, or it might that might make them feel that it's just not accessible to them and they won't come back so if the if the teacher is not showing off That makes it more accessible. So that's number one. (laughs) Um, Develop relationships. So learn as much about your students as you possibly can. Allow it to be a relationship and a dialogue and a conversation. Get feedback. Ask people how they are. I have been to so many yoga yoga classes in my life where nobody mentioned me at all. Or asked me how I was, or how I felt that day, or what I needed from my practice, or why are we not having yoga conversations in yoga classes? Mm. It's it's not uncommon to go in, the class starts, the teacher talks all the way through, the students might talk to each other, but there's no there's no conversation. Mm. So let the yoga practice be a conversation between everybody. Mm. Um those who don't who don't want to talk don't have to you know but yes
0: no no and i was just also thinking if i'm a person listening to the podcast and i have cancer and i want to go to the studio what would you how would you direct them what would you
1: say is the best thing to look out for think about okay um so the first thing i would say is uh look out for a teacher who is advertising themselves as having done training in yoga for cancer or who's additionally a yoga therapist so that would be my first port of call because you know at least that that person's had the kind of training where they will be able to adapt to practice for you Um, have a conversation with the teacher in advance so phone them up or, or drop them an email saying this is my experience and if they're a good teacher they'll offer to have a conversation with you before you come to the class so that they can talk about what your needs are and what your adaptations are, so that you don't need to talk about them out loud in the class if you don't want to. Um, I think that's really important that, you know, confidentiality and uh, sensitivity are really important, particularly if the person's got a condition that might, uh, that might be embarrassing for them. Um, For example, if they have a colostomy bag and they need to if it was in the studio situation they might need to be close to a loo so that they could go and sort that out. There are these kind of adaptations that are worth having a conversation about in advance and I would always do that in advance of a, a class is have a good long-ish conversation with somebody and make sure that I'm aware as, of as many as their, of their needs as possible so that I can a plan my class appropriately but also make sure that any adaptations that they need are already built in.
0: Thank you. That's so helpful. It's been so interesting. I think I, need to, I think I probably need to come do the course. You're
1: more than welcome. Well, I'll do it later on in the year. I'm always on a we course, on, aren't I? Also, yeah, I, need a... to plug, I need to plug my book as well, of course. <laughs> <What's> the <book? laughs> but what? the book essentially is, is the course in book format. I shouldn't really say that because then people won't come and do the course. Well, wanna get one, is... one of six books. They have to do yeah the, the book is is specifically aimed at yoga teachers um, who want to adapt the practice for people living with cancer Um what it is not is a how to work with people living with cancer because such a thing does not exist Um it's built around the yamas and niyamas so it's built around an ethical framework of how to offer compassionate presence to people who are living with cancer or other life-threatening illness and how to be a safe practitioner within that um, so that includes obviously information about cancer and how to adapt and contraindications and all of that but it's mostly about how to be an ethical yoga teacher um, um so yeah how, how, to, how to love how to love our clients that's where our practice would come Yes. And, Jude. And, yes.
2: Oh, sorry, What was you going to say?
1: And to know when to suggest that they go and get some love elsewhere. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Well, uh, that was going to be my question to you. How do you How do you take care of yourself? <laughs> what uh, are those What are those self care things that you do that allow you to do this amazing work with other people and hold this space for others, Jude? Oh.
1: Uh, Good question. Um, number one, uh, yoga nidra is my choice. Uh, and I and also sleep this is sort of kind of uh <laughs> related, but making sure that I that I get enough sleep and really listening to my body's mes- messages about when to rest have been really vital for my uh, well being. Uh, working as a hospital chaplain, I have, particularly during this last year, I have had a lot of of quite overwhelming experience. Um, and so I've had to really up my self-care uh, in order to be able to stay strong. Um, I think that's probably the same for a lot of my colleagues in the NHS. And... Um, Obviously, chaplains support, we support our colleagues as well as patients. So, yeah, making sure that I've got enough downtime, enough rest, the yoga nidra, um, and the odd glass of wine.
0: <laughs>
1: organic, of course. Of course, of course. Organic, yeah. organic free trade. But also get outside as much as I possibly can. And I'm very lucky because I live in the countryside and i can just walk out and be amongst trees but being outside is hugely important for me mm-hmm. i'm listening to podcasts
0: yeah <laughs> i'm obsessed i'm obsessed with podcasts i'm listening to everything oh, my. oh yeah it's great sometimes they make you cross though don't they because some stupid people out like there ignorant and then i think you've got to listen to both sides of the argument so you can understand it. and question your own assumptions that's really important mm-hmm. i've really learned about listening to stuff that i don't agree with because sometimes there's a little kernel of truth in there that makes me think actually i'm disagreeing with you because i'm not dealt with that part of my own stuff
1: it's about discernment though isn't it because some some things are not don't have two sides they're not up for debate that is true thank you for clarifying you're <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right
2: say so i've learned a lot from today's podcast jude thank you so much for brilliant being awesome. here and just sharing this wonderful work that you're doing and the support that you're giving not only to yoga teachers but you know those that are affected by cancer and yeah just thank you for that gift that you've given to us it's wonderful. Oh, thank
1: you it's been brilliant i feel like i could ramble on for another hour or two I, th- I think we've got a few additional
2: podcast ideas, haven't we, <laughs> to come out of this? <laughs> but thank you so much for your time, Jude. Oh, it's you're been welcome. A pleasure. Been great, thank you. Thank-, thank you, Dawn, for your wisdom as always, and for being here. And um, you can find our podcast from the heart on the Apple app. You can find it on Spotify or on Podbean. Um, Please do leave us a review of today's podcast and let us know what you thought. If there's any people that you want us to interview or subjects you would like us to converse about, then we're really happy to hear from you. Also, if you thought it was rubbish, please let us know. And we'll do something about rectifying it. <laughs> so
1: don't invite, don't invite that Jude Mills back on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Jude's definitely coming back as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so Bye. until next time, thank you so much. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you, Jude. And thank, thank you very well for listening. Bye.